Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly president and CEO of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. So today is going to be our last episode of 2019. I'm very excited to get this out to you. Today, we're going to have a mashup of our top four episodes from this year. And we're going to roll all those out. We're going to give you some snippets from each one of them so you can know a little bit more about the episode. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to the entire episode, this will be your chance. We'll put some links in this show so that you can go back and have a listen to those. So I want to thank you guys once again for all of the support that we've been receiving, all of you that have been listening, sharing this with your friends, sharing it with your family, your coworkers and all that. And and we've been having tremendous success here and it's only because of you, our precious listeners. So we thank you again from everybody at Minority Money. With that, our first episode that we're going to give you a snippet of is going to be from the month of August. This is going to come from Carolyn McClanahan. Carolyn is going to talk about a few things. And the important part that she's going to talk about, we're going to skip right to, well, everything she says was important. But the part we're going to skip to is where she talks about healthy lifestyles. Carolyn talks about how minorities lead the country in diabetes and hypertension and how changing the habits that you have with your family can make a big impact in your overall health. You know, we're trying to change the complexion of wealth. What I wanted to talk to you about, a question I had was health issues that you may have noticed that are more prevalent with minorities. And just wanted to have you talk a little bit about that, if you can. Yes. In general, it depends. And so minorities have a higher incidence of diabetes and hypertension. And a lot of that is due to family history, much higher family history of those problems, but plus the diet and exercise. So it all matters. And the problem is an individual, no matter the race, you don't know how much of your problem actually is your genetics versus your lifestyle. And so I caution everybody, don't put themselves in a basket when it comes to this. Everybody needs to do their best to try to live a healthy lifestyle because that's going to mitigate most of the genetic issues that are related to race. So it's a hard thing because you know, a lot of people grow up in families. And I was one. I grew up in the South and we ate unhealthy and my mom was overweight. And I grew up, my dad was a baker. I grew up, you talk about changing lifestyle. I grew up living on donuts and Coke and ended up overweight. And in med school, I got bigger. And then finally I realized, wow, I got a, because I came from very poor family. And so I was now in with all these wealthier people who got to go to med school. I was very lucky that I got to go. And I thought, gosh, I got to preach to people how to live. I need to do this myself. And it's doable. You just have to make a concentrated effort. And if your whole family is that way, it's important to get your family on board. Now, I see that mistake with a lot of families is the parents are unhealthy. The kids, they're teaching their kids unhealthy behaviors. And when everybody gets on board with living healthy behaviors, it helps you and it helps your future generations. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with that. Definitely from the eating standpoint, I'm 
in my house, my grandmother was from the South. So, you know, eating fried, everything was like, food just tastes better when it's fried. It, yeah. Until you get off of it. And then it's like, yeah. oh, this is greasy. <laughs> yeah. You can taste the difference. Right? You, yep. Like, wow. That does have a lot of grease or a lot of salt. But I think that you make a good point. It's changing the lifestyle. And it's not only just for the one individual, it is doing it across the family. And I think that sometimes it's easier to eat the things that aren't good for you than it is to eat the things that are healthy. It's one of those things about educating yourself. And, and I'm not, when I say lifestyle, we're not saying like fad diets. I'm not going to go into that because that's a whole nother issue. Yeah. But you want to be able to make those modifications in your diet to make sure that they suit you and the family. So we can't have this conversation about health without talking about healthcare costs and possible reform. So could you just talk a little bit about healthcare costs? You know, one of the talks that I put together early on was how to help your clients who can't get health insurance find health insurance. Because back before the Affordable Care Act, there was underwriting. And if you had a health problem, you couldn't get health insurance. So I'm really fearful that we're going to go back to that day. The ACA, so when the ACA passed, I read the entire law and I put together a talk and I always spoke highly of the good parts of the ACA and I spoke badly about the bad parts of the ACA. So I was hated by both sides. I write for Forbes. I've been writing for them a long time. I got the most hate mail because I got it from both sides. And one of the great things about the ACA is it guaranteed that anybody could get health insurance because there was no longer medical underwriting. The bad thing about the ACA, especially for people, regular middle-class people who had income, is that health insurance was very expensive. If you couldn't get subsidies to help pay for your care and you didn't have employer-based coverage, it only continued to get more expensive. And now even employer-based coverage is getting expensive because they're passing the costs onto the employee. So healthcare costs are crazy. And the underlying reason in this country is because one, our system is very inefficient. Our overhead is huge. You know, most countries, it's five to 15%. Our country, it's 25 to 30%. If we could cut our overhead by 15%, we'd have enough money to pay for primary care for everybody for free. Isn't that crazy? And that's the other problem with our country is that our system is specialist based. We do not have a good primary care system. And if people just got primary care, that would go a long way towards helping those basic common chronic problems people have like hypertension, obesity, diabetes. We could tackle those problems which are going to reduce healthcare costs down the road. Absolutely. I think that's very true. Hope you enjoyed that from Carolyn. We're going to move on to September. In September, we had Carl Richards, and he talked about how to align your behaviors with your financial goals. And a few of the things he talked about, highlights from this was he was talking about the behavior gap and how sometimes we have well-intended behaviors, but we still mess up. And that is okay. There is nothing wrong with having mistakes. You will not have everything perfect, but we're making progress. And so he talks about that and he says, don't beat yourself up. It's okay to make mistakes. And diving into the gaps that you have in your finance as an area of growth. Hope you enjoy this from Carl Richards. The behavior gap is any behavior, any, and I like to make this clear, any well-intentioned behavior. It's any time we think we're doing something that's supposed to be in our best interests, and it turns out it's not. We do this with savings. We do this with spending. 
We do this with the types of life insurance we buy. We do this with our time. We do this with our diet. We do this with our exercise. We think we're like, oh, that behavior will help us. And it turns out that it doesn't. That's the concept. And one last thing, gaps in our behavior. We will do anything. We came with software pre-installed that really drives us to avoid seeing those gaps because they hurt. They're also the source of growth, right? But they hurt. And I think of them as blind spots. And by definition, like you can't see your own. I can't see my own. So we'll do anything to avoid them. And what we're trying to do, what I think of my work as is trying to systematically expose people to those gaps, sometimes as a drill sergeant, but other times more often I try to do as as an empathetic friend. Just grab your hand and say, let's just carefully look at this. I don't think it's serving you well, right? Sometimes I have to be all up in your face and be the drill sergeant, but mostly it's empathetic friend. And I can be an empathetic friend because I've got massive gaps in my own behavior and I'll do anything to avoid them. And I've hired specific people to help me systematically expose my life to them because I know diving into those gaps is where all of the growth is. Right. So that's the really sort of broad concept of the behavior. And so when you're reading that and you see, you know, you look at all behaviors, not only financial, but, you know, you can take that concept and apply it to health. You can take that concept and apply it to your family. You can take that concept and apply it to education. I think it fits in with everything that we're trying to talk about here on the podcast. The thing I like that you take your approach is with the behavioral financial approach, not beating yourself up. I was looking at something you posted on Twitter the other day, and it was about mistakes that people make, and then they beat themselves up like they're never supposed to make a mistake. I can't remember exactly what you said, but it was something along the lines of that. What are some common mistakes, money mistakes that people make that are okay? Not saying that you continue to do that, but it's okay if you make that mistake. We just need to make sure that we correct the behavior to fix it going forward. (laughs) So the first thing we have to get clear about, Emlyn, like you and I both know this, we all make those mistakes. Like there was no part of this plan called life that didn't involve making mistakes. So the first thing we have to do is give ourselves permission to not only make them, but to feel all the range of emotions that comes when we do. Like if that means you're pissed, be pissed for a little bit. Like if it means you're sad and disappointed, Be sad or disappointed for a minute. Like, I think this might be stereotypical, but I think it's generally true. Yeah, no, it is. I think generally it's true, especially men. Like, be okay being sad, right? Be okay admitting you made a mistake. I know that's a struggle for women too in a completely different way, but I understand the male part of it because I happen to be male. So I can say like, so first we have to give ourselves permission That's called being human. I think what happens is we make a mistake, we cram it down. We're like, I'm not supposed to make mistakes and I'm certainly not supposed to be sad and I don't want to be weak, so I can't appear. I certainly am not going to tell my spouse or my partner about this because that would be appearing weak and that's not what we do. We never get off this white horse, right? So I'm simply saying, climb off your horse a little bit and say, first, it's all right, feel sad, right? So with that caveat, (laughs) a blown budget, that's a mistake we make. I mean, most people can relate to that. Like, I don't know if it's daily, but weekly, but certainly monthly. Like, darn it, I said I wouldn't do that, and I did it again. So what happens 
is the first step to this is acknowledging, like the first step is having a tool to measure so you know when you've gone off course, right? Like if we're using blown budget, like, okay, let's have a budget first. And a budget, oh man, we could spend our whole time talking about that word. And all I mean is like, we want you spending more on the things that bring you happiness and security. And we want you ruthlessly weeding out the stuff that doesn't. A budget really is just aligning your spending with what you say is important to you. I think that's such an important point that you're making there, aligning your budget with what's important to you. Because I think people, like as soon as you say the word budget, they think, oh, I can't spend this. I can't buy that. I can't do this. No, if you have money that's allotted to buy those things that you like to buy, if you've checked the other boxes, like the things that you, you're supposed to be doing, you, you're putting enough money away for future, you're putting enough money away for, you know, like whether it's retirement or college savings or whatever it is, if you have those things in line, you have your stuff taken care of, then, you know, it's okay to buy some things that you like every once in a while, not just put all your money away and think I can't buy anything. And I think people have a misconception of a budget thinking that that means I can't buy anything. Yeah, no, for sure. Budgeting has got a massive, massive marketing problem. It's a little bit like flossing, right? Like there's no way we're going to change that. But I think if we understand like, no, it's just about me being intentional. It's about me doing it on purpose and considering sort of some longer term things. And what happens when you start doing that is you start to notice like some of the things you start to notice, like some of the things that you thought were making you happy aren't. And you notice that and they're not bad. Like I'll give you an example, going to the movies with friends. We used to do that all the time. And we'd go out to dinner and then we'd go to the movies. And the movies are awesome. Like I love going to the movies, especially every once in a while when it's been a hard week and I just want to check out. And, but I'm not getting a lot of value from the friendship. Like if the purpose is friendship, what if we invited people over to the house and we cooked together and we had a chance to, this is the important thing about personal finance. It's personal. <laughs> you may love going to the movie with friends. And if you do, then you want to have money set aside to go do that. And you want to feel awesome. Like you said, if you know you've ticked the other boxes, it makes that experience richer, right? Like this is awesome because I'm all in. But we recognized, you know what? We always thought that that brought us, but we enjoy it more. If we invite people over to the house and we hang out or, or we go for a hike or we do something else. So all I'm saying is be intentional. The question you asked was, what are some behaviors that people blowing a budget is like the easiest one to pick on? Spending money that you're like, darn, putting money on the credit card for some new shoes. And you're like, darn, I promised myself I'd stop doing that. Okay. In that moment, first things we're going to do is no shame or blame. Shame and blame. Now you can feel guilt. And you can feel responsibility, but you can't feel shame or blame because they do no good. Responsibility or guilt says that was dumb. Shame says I am dumb, right? So we, we don't feel any shame or blame, but we do sit in that feeling, darn it, I can't believe I did that again. And then we just say, oh, okay. And we re-resolve. What often happens is you say, darn it, I didn't do that again. We push it down and then we repeat. And we're going to just keep our resolve. Like this is too important, right? Like getting yourself to a point where you have the freedom to do whatever it is, is important to you. However you define that is too important. It's too important. And I know the work you're doing, it's too important for you personally, but it's also too important for the next generation and next generation to break some of these habits that have sort of kept us bound, if you will. It's too important. And so, yeah, that's what we do. That's a behavior about budgeting is a behavior. 
that we keep bumping up against. So hope that was good for you. Hope you enjoyed what Carl had to say. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that entire episode, please go back and listen to that one. Carl is giving a lot of nuggets in that episode. We go on to October where we have Kwame Christian talking about the art of negotiating. Now, Kwame approaches his negotiations, he said, with a compassionate curiosity. Listen to this as he talks about compassionate curiosity and every conversation is an opportunity to negotiate. And then last how to manage those emotions when you are in the middle of negotiating. So please give this a listen. Hope you enjoy. Kwame Christian. Why is the ability to negotiate so important? The ability to negotiate is important because you're doing it all the time. Whether you want to or not, these, (laughs) these conversations are happening. And so I like a broad definition of negotiation. And so the one that I use is any conversation where somebody in the conversation Mm -hmm. wants something. That's it. And so when we use that broad definition, we recognize, number one, we're negotiating all the time. And number two, the people with whom we negotiate the most are the people who are closest to us. So our colleagues at work, our friends, our family, all of these conversations that are just everyday conversations are really negotiations. And once we're able to raise our level of negotiation awareness, it makes it easier for us to see these conversations as strategic opportunities. Because before, if we don't think of them as negotiations, then we don't have any signal to utilize the persuasive skills we'll talk about in this Mm. this podcast. You're just letting life happen to you. Increasing your recognition helps you to be more proactive about accomplishing your goals and utilizing these small interactions as opportunities. Because I I think people are like, okay, so this is a a podcast we've talked about. I told you a little bit about what it is, minority money, changing the complexion of wealth. And I'm glad that you said that you're negotiating every day because people are thinking, okay, what does negotiation have to do with money or my family? Or, well, because you're negotiating over your money, you're negotiating with your family. Usually you're negotiating with your health, with yourself on what dietary things you eat. So I think this fits in very, very well with the mission and purpose of what the podcast is about. So as you said, we always have, we're negotiating all the time, whether we realize it or not. So with that being said, how do you prepare yourself? to negotiate with someone. Yeah. So I have a gift for your friends and I'll send you a link for this too. So if you go to AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, you can get a, a link to all of our free negotiation guides. So we have about 20, a salary negotiation guide, a business negotiation guide, conflict resolution guide, introvert negotiation guide, car negotiation guide, all sorts of different guides there. And the reason why we have those is because we need to prepare in order to be successful in these conversations. That's it. And they, I remember one study where they found that they separated people into two groups. One group didn't prepare. The other group did prepare. The group that did prepare was able to get 11% more value for themselves in the negotiation compared to the control group. And then they were also able to create 6% more value for the other side through creating creative options. And so it is the easiest way to improve your outcomes in these difficult conversations. And the thing is, we always say prepare, but people say, okay, well, I mean, what does that mean, Mm -hmm. right? And so these guides give you a systematic approach to preparation. So you're asking the right questions. And even if you're just taking the time before a conversation, let's say it's a conversation with your spouse and they say, okay, hey, let's chat about this thing. Then you say, all right give me one second, let me shoot off this last text or let me, you know, go close the door, something. Now you, you've bought yourself 30 seconds to think through 
what your goal is, what their goal is, and some questions you can ask in the middle of the conversation to, to move the needle forward. You, whatever you do, you want to take some time to prepare because it'll increase the, the likelihood of success. And number two, it'll make you feel calmer and you, you'll feel more controlled in the interaction. See, and, I, and I'm glad you talked about being calm and being controlled in the interaction because I think it was Mike Tyson that said it, to quote Mike Tyson, but he said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Or punched in the mouth, mm-hmm. I think he said. I, I, I think that's what he said. It was one, yeah. either the face or mouth until you get punched. I mean, it messes up everything. But <laughs> the reason why I say that is because we've all been in preparing to negotiate, you know, and usually it's either a family member or maybe it's your boss or, you know, just, just someone that you're like, I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to get ready to talk to them. And then your emotions hijack every plan that you had because you got hit in the mouth with something that you weren't expecting. So how would you manage your emotions during those tough conversations? Because I think that is probably one of the toughest parts of the negotiating is to, I don't know if you can remove all the emotion, but to be tactful with it. But but how do you manage your emotions during that tough, difficult conversation? I tell you, Emlyn, when it comes to these workshops that I give in in different parts of the country, no matter what industry it's in, that's something that comes up. How do I manage my own emotions in these conversations? So quick psychology nerd moment. Um, what we're dealing with, like I, I like how you said the word hijack because they call it an amygdala hijack. That's the part of your brain that's in the limbic system that's in charge of emotional responses. And so we're quick to respond to perceived threats. And that's the part of the brain that's going to trigger the fight or flight response. And so when we're in that type of situation, not only do we have that type of automatic emotional response, but our body is also flooded with a stress hormone called mm-hmm. cortisol. So we're not even thinking straight. So we're emotional and not as smart <laughs> as usual. <laughs> so, so it's not good, which again, speaks to the importance of preparation. So preparation is a big part of it, making sure that you have thought through these things. So when the conversation comes up, you already know how you're going to respond. You want to pre-think as much of the conversation as possible. The next thing is with my framework, uh, the Compassionate Curiosity Framework, it's a three-part framework um, where you acknowledge and validate emotions, then you engage in compassionate curiosity, so get curious with compassion, and then you engage in joint problem solving. And the cool thing about that framework is that the Compassionate Curiosity Framework could be flipped internally as well. So this is something you do before the conversation when you start to feel yourself getting emotional about it. So what is it that I'm feeling? Okay, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Acknowledge that. Then ask yourself the question compassionately, because a lot of times we're, we're our worst judge. We're so critical of ourselves and that negative self-talk brings us down. So we say, listen, so why, Kwame, I'm talking to myself now, why are you feeling this way? What led you to this situation, right? And so then in the last step, joint problem solving, you might ask yourself, if I'm talking to myself, what, like, who else is involved? And so that's where you're getting your heart and mind on the same page, because there are going to be some things that you care about emotionally, and you need to be able to recognize that it's an emotional need or want, and then some things that you need substantively. And so sometimes the correct answer from the outside looking in might do you too much damage emotionally. You say, listen, that's not me. I can't, I'm not going to compromise that part of myself. It it conflicts with my values or something that I care about. You want to know that before you engage in the conversation. So you know what your boundaries are, right? So that process of self-awareness, acknowledging your own emotions is, is critical. Okay. 
Hope you enjoyed listening to Kwame there. If you want to go back and listen to that entire episode, it is available for you as well. We do have the links to that. Kwame is an incredible speaker and has a great podcast of his own. So we're going to move on to November. And for November, we had Maricela Miles Mattingly, my wife, and we talked about making the most of money talks with your spouse. In this episode, Mari talks, she starts out by talking about a full circle moment where she actually can remember having to go to liquor stores to cash checks for her parents and then coming full circle as she becomes a bank manager. And now she's talking to those same people that are unbanked coming into the bank to cash checks and how she helps them. We also talk about the mistakes that we still make as a couple in our relationship as it pertains to money. We do talk about how we have daily money talks. And then last week, we plug in in this little snippet. She talks about, we both talk about the spending limits that we put on each other to make sure that we don't just go crazy with spending. I hope you enjoy this clip from Madi. Talk about the, when, when you see someone that's coming in and cashing a check, well, you know, maybe they used to go to a liquor store. And as a teller, I know this is a long time ago, but just, you know, as a teller or as a manager, how, how was that when someone would come in and, you know, they were unbanked? How were you able to speak to them because you had lived that? You know, I think for me, it always kind of, I want to help them even more so, right? Because I see them and I think of my mom, my dad, I think of myself, right? And trying to teach them, they're like, well, if I mean, I'm trying to show them the packages and, you know, how to waive the fees. And they're like, but if you're going to charge me $12, I was like, well, yes, but how much were you paying at the liquor store? And then you kind of see the light bulb go off and you're like, wait, I was paying $12 every week. And then they realize, oh my gosh, like, what have I been doing? And I'm like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to work up your balance. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Let's set up direct deposit. And then once I, you know, I show them how to do online banking, like that just blows their mind. But I mean, I think it's always, it's always just neat and to be able to come full circle and show them this, because I know that had my parents have had a Mahdi or somebody like me that they could come to and, and they could, you know, she could teach them or he, I mean, it would have made a difference for all of us, right? Because then they would have been able to teach us. It's just nice to be able to help people like that because you know where they're coming from and you understand that they don't know you know? And so being able to help them is, is really neat. You know, I've heard you come home from work and be very excited about, you know, um, helping people and, and helping basically make an impact in their life. Today, I wanted to talk about how we have our, our money conversations, our money dates, if you will, they call them that. But we just talk about, I just want to go through how we have our money conversations, you know, how, how we go about that. Off the top of my head, we don't have like a designated time when we do it, but typically Sunday is the time when we have our money talks, right? Yeah. And so usually we go through our go through our spending and it's not like a systematic way that we go through spending. We just kind of go through, okay, I know you like your spreadsheet. And so that's kind of what you like to talk about. And I'm more of a how much money do we have coming in? How much money needs to come out? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, add it up. I'm like, well, it's right there. We can just add it. We'll have it added. I'm like, okay. And this is and this is real talk. And I think sometimes, like as a financial advisor and a bank manager, we should have everything together. We should never make a financial mistake, and we shouldn't be tempted to buy more stuff. And we shouldn't have we shouldn't make any mistakes, right? Like you have your finance degree. My degree was in accounting, and we should just have everything together. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let you know something. I'll let you all in on a secret. Mm-hmm. We don't. Sometimes we spend more than we'd like to. Sometimes we don't save enough. Sometimes we go through these things. However, we always talk about money, 
right? Yeah, all the time. Almost every day. Yeah. So so we talk about it every day. And I think because we, not only because of what we do, but I think it's just something that's so important in a relationship that we have to have those conversations about money. And I, one thing I did want to talk about, about a conversation or about something that we do personally is we have a spending limit on what you can spend without telling each other. Or without getting the okay from the other person. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> without getting okay. There you go. That sounds better. Without getting the okay. So that limit is $250. Did it go up? I thought it was $200. i am kidding. <laughs> I, was, I thought it was, yeah. I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah maybe I snuck <laughs> an extra 50 in there. But, but uh, it's usually $250. Now, what's the significance of that? Why is that so important? Do you want to, I, I didn't, that's not one of the questions I had listed, but a good spot to, to have that in there. Do you want to talk about that or do you want me to talk about it? Well, I mean, I think I can, you know, I can start and then you can take it away. I think it's just important for us to know that, hey, you know, $50 is, you know, why'd you take that? Or I think it just creates more of a boundaries and limits between us so that we're not just always having to check with each other all the time that, hey, I'm going to buy this, this pair of jeans. No, because it's within that that threshold, right? So I think it just allows us that that flexibility to make our own decisions without having to feel that we have to consult each other. Absolutely. And $250, I think, is reasonable. There, there's nothing like, I know none of the Amazon boxes that show up at the house are over $250. $250 and and uh, there's there's nothing like getting that Amazon Prime <laughs> box that, that, uh, for some stuff that you ordered, typically for the baby. Um, but you know, you're, we, I, I like the $250 number. So can we talk about how we work through our budget, working through our, our realistic budget? I'll let you speak to that because you're the one that makes it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just having the a list, right? Where we know that these are the must, you know, whether it's cable, cell phone, mortgage, car, you know, whatever it is that no matter what, those are going to be the bills that have to be paid every month. And then we look at other bills to say, okay, where can we save more or where can we pay down some debt, right? And I think it establishes a a base of what we have to pay. And then the other piece of where we can pay a little bit more or just pay the minimum. And then of course, what we have to save. So I think I like the spreadsheet because it's in front of me and it's not like I'm not going through the account or every month I know this is coming out on this day. There's no, okay, if I, if I need, if it's on the 5th or, you know, the 15th and I get paid on the 16th, okay, we have that one day lag. Okay. What's going on? Do I need to, do we need to move money around? I don't know. It just makes it for me easier to, to, to see and manage as opposed to being surprised and be like, oh, we forgot about that bill. And that wraps up this year. Those were just the four top listened to episodes. So if you haven't had a chance to go listen to those, Please, if this is your first time listening to the Minority Money Podcast, do yourself a favor and start from the beginning. Listen all the way through. I want to take this time to give you a little update on what we're going to do next year. Next year for 2020, we're going to hit the ground running. We know everybody's going to have some resolutions or some commitments, as you call whatever you call them. And we want you to be able to get something from the people here at Minority Money. So the month of January is going to be dedicated to health and fitness. So every episode for the month of January will be about health and fitness. And we're going to be giving lots of tips for you on things that you can do to help yourself stay committed to those goals that you're going to have. And so we're going to do a series every month for the first four months of the year are planned out. The month of January will be health and fitness. The month of 
February will be dedicated to education. The month of March will be all finance. And the month of April will be dedicated to family. So as we wrap up 2019, we are hoping that all of you have a happy new year. Thank you once again. And if you haven't had a chance, once again, please, we're asking you to give us a review on iTunes. If it's good, if it's bad, whatever, we just want one because we want to hear back from you. You also can reach me at Emlyn at MinorityMoneyPodcast.com. I want to thank all of you for all of your love and support again throughout the year of 2019. We look forward to doing great things with you for 2020. Until then, have a blessed new year. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast in whatever podcast app you're listening to on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and to be supported by others just like you. And again, we're super happy to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it cannot be completely your one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But guess what? If you have any questions, or maybe you just like to chat, please reach out to me directly at Imlin at MinorityMoney.com so that we can get to know each other there. Thanks for being here, and we're signing off.